scriptures and turn back with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. The story is told of a rather famous evangelist who was preaching one Sunday morning and could sense the spirit working and decided that he was going to wait to make application until the evening service. Dismissed his congregation as they were on their way home. They could hear the sirens and the sounds of the local fire department going through as the city was being burned down. That evangelist then vowed then and there that he would never hold off on making an application because you don't know when your life will end. I'm going to not follow his advice this morning. So please keep your cows away from your lanterns as you go home today. We will make some application from God's word this morning, but the main application um, as we look at the stone that Peter describes for us in 1 Peter chapter 2, the main applications we'll be making this evening. So I encourage you, if you can physically come out tonight, to do so, but if not, feel free to take advantage of uh, the live streaming abilities that we have so that you can get the rest of the sermon for today. As we read this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 8. To whom, Peter writes, coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, in holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And this passage is wrapped around this analogy that Peter is making of Christ as the stone. And as we've been singing this morning, we'll continue in our song service this evening, focusing on songs that reflect how Christ is our shelter, how he is our rock. Peter tells us that this stone in verse 4 is a living stone. In contrast to the idols which Israel is often turning to in the Old Testament. It is a stone that was chosen of God. was precious. Highly honored by God. And Peter, I believe may be involved in some serious wordplay here as well, making a reference to the fact that, yes, Christ is the stone 
the foundation upon which the church is built. Going back in our memories, if we can, to Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asks the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they gave all of the answers, and then Jesus turns it directly to them. Who do you say that I am? And Peter's response, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, Petra, the rock, not the stone, the shelter upon which the foundation of the church is built, a larger stone, but a smaller stone. You are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church, not building the church on Peter, but rather on the statement that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So the reference Peter here is using in 1 Peter chapter 2, referring to Christ as the stone. And as he's doing this, Peter is demonstrating for us what oftentimes as preachers we ought to be doing. Peter, in these verses that we read this morning, doesn't just give his own thoughts or opinions. Instead, he goes back to the Bible that he had. And he uses three passages in particular from the Old Testament in which the stone is prophesied, clearly referring to the Messiah. And so we're going to this morning kind of follow Peter's train of thought from the Old Testament passages that he refers to and that he is quoting to learn about the stone, as well as two other passages that Peter doesn't use here, but I believe are very key and foundational for our understanding of Christ. And this evening, I would encourage you again to come back as we look at the two options for what we should do with the stone. But we see, first of all, in verse 6, the stone of perfection. It is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion, or in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Peter here, if you have a reference Bible, is quoting from Isaiah chapter 28. If you turn there, we'll go ahead and look at these couple of verses. Isaiah 28 Verses 16 through 17. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line and the righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow the hiding place. 
As we look at this passage, we see several things about Christ, this coming stone. We see that God is laying a firm foundation with Christ, a foundation which nothing can move. From the earliest understanding and the earliest writings, the Hebrew scriptures, the Jews understood this passage in Isaiah chapter 28 was referring to a future king. In fact, their commentaries for this passage interpret it saying, Lo, I appoint in Zion a king, a strong, mighty, and terrible king. Not terrible in the way that we think of it as, you know, you go out to eat and the food is terrible. You know, the chef didn't use enough salt or whatever. It's not terrible as in bad. But one who, when he judges, if you are on the wrong side of the judgment, ought to impose terror. We see in Isaiah chapter 28 that this stone is a tried stone. And oftentimes we have this analogy more common using in metallurgy. When you try the metal to purify and to perfect that metal, it is indicating here that the components of the stone, the structure of this king and its solidness are well known. The stone is tried. It is a precious cornerstone. It is precious. This speaks of the importance of the stone. The cornerstone would have to support the corner of the building. It needed to be able to sustain the immense weight of the building. And those who believe in the stone, Isaiah says, shall not make haste. The idea there is you're not going to be making a hasty, a foolish decision that you will regret. As we go through life and we have opportunities to make decisions, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many times have we made a hasty decision that ends up being the wrong decision? But the one who believes in this stone is not making a decision that they are going to regret. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, Peter puts it this way, He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Paul in Romans 9.33 quotes this passage and he interprets it this way, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. When we place our trust on Christ, on the stone, it's not something that we need to be ashamed of. We see here in Isaiah that justice will be the measuring line or a true, a sure measuring stick, meaning that Christ will have to be measured against the exact rule of the law. And when we see Christ coming into Jerusalem during the triumphal entry, and we see him being put on trial, being compared to the scrutiny of the Jewish law, 
In the words of Pilate, I find no fault in him. He was tried against the scrutiny. He was found to be not guilty, and yet he still died for you and I. Justice will measure him. Righteousness will be the plumb line. The tool that would be a string with a heavy weight on the end of it that you would hold up against the wall to make sure that wall was straight and not leaning like the wonderful tower in Pisa. God's righteousness will be the exactness by which the stone will be measured and Christ will be able to perfectly meet the righteous standard that God has, something that we fall short on. Nothing will be hidden from the eyes of this stone. It is prophesied to come as the righteous judge from whom nothing will be hidden. It is a stone of perfection. But if we come back to 1 Peter, we see Peter again referencing another passage in verse 7. So unto you therefore which believe, those who believe on this stone, those who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient. And here's the quote, the stone which the builders disallowed. The stone that the builders cast aside. The same is made the head of the corner. This is a quote from Psalm 118, if you would turn there. Psalm 118, beginning in verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Christ is not only the stone that is precious, but he is the stone that is prominent. Because of the largeness and oftentimes the irregular shape of the cornerstone, this stone could often be discarded as a mistake that was made in the quarry. The stone would be transported to where the building site would be, and because it doesn't look like a nice rectangular prism, it's like, man, who messed up on this order? Just toss this one off to the side. Reject it. The same way the Messiah was to come to Israel, and he was rejected. Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, Jesus talking to his disciples. Did ye never read in the scriptures 
Okay, didn't you read in Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to a powder. And in Luke chapter 20, again, Christ says, He beheld them and he said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. But upon whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to a powder. This stone, though it was going to be rejected by Israel, was to be made the chief, the head cornerstone. And when we think of Christ in his first coming, offering the kingdom of God to Israel and they rejected it, it was not a surprise to God that that would happen. Rather, God knew it would happen. And though it was rejected, God had that as his plan so that that stone then would go to a place of prominence. You know, we have groundbreaking ceremonies today when a new building is going to be built where a select group of leaders will take a shovel and will break the ground. You know, they'll turn over a little bit and everyone goes, Yay! This is going to be the future site of this building. That didn't happen with Christ. He was rejected. He was cast aside. Psalm 118 is one of the psalms that is a psalm of ascent. This was a psalm that would have been sung after the celebration of the Passover feast. So let's put ourselves, if we can, into the mind of Christ having celebrated his last Passover with his disciples, knowing the cross that was set before him. And we see in the Gospels that as they go to the garden, they sing a song, they sing a hymn. What are they singing? They're singing Psalm 118. Imagine knowing what Christ knew, knowing the cross was just on the horizon. Jesus singing these words, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Here I am. Put me as the sacrifice. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever, and he is about to die. He is about to be on his hands and knees pleading to the Father, if it possible, take this cup from me. Nailed to the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why am I being rejected? We know the answer. 
It's because of that sacrifice he is able to be the chief cornerstone. So we can give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Now we have the verse in there, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And essentially, yes, every day is a day that God has made, and we should rejoice in every day. But there is a specific day that Psalm 118 is referring to regarding this stone that is rejected. That is the day of his resurrection. And we'll see at the end times, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 tells us that God also has highly exalted him. When Christ came to this earth, he was rejected by his own. John tells us he came to his own and his own received him not. He was rejected. He was crucified. And because of that, God also hath highly exalted him. And hath given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Christ came the first time, he was rejected, but he is a stone of great prominence. The day will come where every knee will bow, where every tongue will confess his name to the glory of God the Father. Ultimately, he has been glorified. The Father has put him in this position of prominence. Should not we who are called his own do the same? Should we not live our lives so that Christ receives the glory for what he has done for us, both in how we live as well as in sharing him with those around us. He is a stone that is precious. He is a stone that is prominence. But also, thirdly, he is the stone of stumbling. Verse 8, he is stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. A quote from Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 11. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear nor be afraid, but rather sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread, for he shall be for a sanctuary. Make God who God is. And he will be for you a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling. And for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. For a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Among many, and many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Isaiah's message comes at a time of political upheaval, political turmoil in the land of Judah. Isaiah's messages were quite unpopular, if we could say, with the culture around him. 
God tells him, now, don't get caught up in the way that these people are caught up in things. Don't say a confederacy. Okay? He's not saying, you know, don't study the American Civil War, don't talk about the South. That's not what he's referring to. A confederacy, an unlawful alliance, or another word that we might be a little more familiar with in our culture, a conspiracy. Don't get caught up in the way of the world. Don't get caught up chasing all the conspiracies in the culture around us. No, it's not very hard. We can find a conspiracy under every leaf, it seems like, to get upset about. Oh, the government's doing this. The government's doing that. Don't get caught up in the culture. Don't get caught up in the conspiracy theories that are out there. But instead, as God told Isaiah to tell the children of Israel and Judah, the same message is true for us today. Put your faith and your trust and your hope in the stone. In the rock. Are the politicians going to disappoint us? Yes. Should it come as a shock that an unsaved individual will act as if they are unsaved? No. But so often in our Christian circles, we get caught up in all of the conspiracy, all of the these things are bad and ha happening around us, and that's just terrible. When instead, the scriptures tell us, Go to the rock. Go to the stone. Isaiah's message was unpopular, not because he was pointing out the errors in all of these conspiracies. His message was unpopular because he was saying, thus says the Lord. This is God's message. That's where my hope is found. Not in the conspiracies. So God is essentially giving Isaiah this promise. Don't get caught up in the conspiracies around you. Don't let the fear and the dread of those around you be your fear and your dread. But rather put your faith and your trust in the stone. Because those who do, he will be a sanctuary. But those who reject the stone will stumble over it. Be a stone of stumbling. We have two approaches, two focuses when it comes to this stone. Those who put their hope, their trust in God, in the Lord, he will be a sanctuary to them. In the ancient nations, temples were regarded as safe places that people could flee to when they're pursued. A place where you could go in danger. A place where you would be safe. In fact, even in the secular cultures, it was deemed a sacrilege to tear someone away from the temple or away from an altar where they, when they are seeking sanctuary. And yet we have the concept here that God is our asylum. He is our refuge. He is the one to whom we should flee in times of danger. The one to whom we can flee and be safe. 
Instead of getting on social media and ranting and raving about all the bad things that are happening or all the conspiracies that we need to disprove, find your sanctuary in the stone, in the rock. But those who put their focus elsewhere, those who do not go to the stone for sanctuary, he becomes a stone of stumbling. Paul in Romans 9.33, again quoting this, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Instead of making God their refuge and strength, instead of finding their refuge in Christ, those who resist his claims, those who resist his appeals, have as their consequence their own destruction. A stone of stumbling Many will stumble, many will fall, many will be broken, many will be snared, many will be taken. So where is our hope today? Where is our focus? As a believer, my trust and my hope would be that we find as our refuge this stone Yes, the world is not our friend. Yes, the world is going to try to rip us from Christ. It's trying to get our attention off of the one that we should be focused on. But as believers, are we putting our hope in that rock? If we're here this morning and we have never put our hope and our trust in that rock, The alternative is not pleasant. Christ will become a stone of stumbling. A stone that, yes, it's there, you can see it. But a stone that you trip over. And as Christ says, the one who stumbles over the stone shall be broken. And the one upon whom the stone falls will be crushed referring to eternal judgment as the consequence for rejection. And if you're here this morning and you have not put your trust, your faith, your hope in that stone, I would urge you today to do that. But in the Old Testament, we see also that this stone is a stone of forgiveness. We're segueing away from where Peter's at at this point for these last two points, but I think there's still a good, accurate representation of this stone. It is precious. It is prominent. It was rejected. But it is, fourthly, the stone of forgiveness. Zechariah chapter 3. Take the time this afternoon to read the whole story in Zechariah chapter 3. You see the high priest Joshua standing before God, and his garments are filthy with the sin of Israel. And we see Satan, the accuser, attacking him, telling God to judge this one. And yet we see the wonderful forgiveness as God's son comes on the scene and says, no, remove the filthy garments from him and instead put my righteous robes on him. 
And in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9, the prophecy is, Behold the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. The stone is a continuation of the analogy of Christ as the branch in verse 8. A clear prophecy of the coming Messiah. The stone that has seven eyes. Revelation chapter 5 verse 6. John records, he beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. This lamb having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. The eyes in the scriptures are a symbol of intelligence. Seven, the number of completeness. Signifying the stone with seven eyes, the completeness of the knowledge that this stone has. And yet, despite the fact that this stone knows every sin that we commit against it. In Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9, there's the wonderful promise, saith the Lord of hosts, I will remove the iniquity of the land. Even though that stone knows how guilty we are, even though Christ knows the sins that I have committed against him, as a lamb he was slain so that I can have forgiveness from those sins and that you can have forgiveness from those sins. And again, if you are here this morning, if you have not received the sacrifice of the lamb, I would plead with you, I would beg with you, I would urge you to do so. Because not only is he the stone of forgiveness, but on the flip side, fifthly, he is the stone of conquering. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, he has a vision that he has no idea what it means. And he calls all of his wise men to him. Says, tell me what my dream was and tell me what it means. And they're all like, we can't tell you what it means. We can't make up what it means if we don't know what it is. And Nebuchadnezzar goes and decrees that all of the wise men in the kingdom be killed because they can't offer an interpretation. And Daniel comes onto the scene and giving the glory to God, God knows your dream and God has revealed to me what your dream was and what it means. And in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw a stone that was cut without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. The stone that smote the image became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. And then the interpretation, here's what it means in those days, these kings 
In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much that as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And Nebuchadnezzar, the dream is sure. It's going to happen. The interpretation is sure. In this dream of Nebuchadnezzar, we see the stone as the complete conqueror of all the kingdoms of the earth before. The conqueror of all those who do not place their hope and their trust in him. We see the stone will grind, it will crush. Again, if we go back to Christ's words in Matthew 21, verse 44, whosoever shall fall on this stone, the one who stumbles over Christ, the one who rejects Christ, shall be broken. And as a result of them rejecting Christ, when Christ comes as the conquering king and that stone falls upon them, it will grind him to powder. Whether one rejects Christ and stumbles over the stone, or one is apathetic towards Christ and the stone falls on him, the result is the same. Yes, it is a stone of forgiveness, but it is also a stone that will judge righteously. And again, if you're here this morning and you're stumbling over the stone, you have not put your faith, your trust in him. You are in danger of judgment. But you don't have to be. Christ is the righteous judge from whom nothing is hid. We are in great danger of his righteous judgment. And yet the one who can judge us is the same one who in love gave himself for us. Although mankind continues to reject the stone, God has glorified him. As believers, are we living our lives that to, in a way that glorifies him? Are we living our lives in obedience to his command, in obedience to his word? Whereas Peter says later in 1 Peter chapter 2, are we living, having our conversation, having our lifestyle honest among the Gentiles so that if they speak against you as someone doing wrong, your good works stand out against that testimony. By your good works which they behold, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. As believers, are we living our life so that the stone, so that Christ receives glory? Are we truly finding our sanctuary and our peace in him? Or are we allowing ourselves to be caught up in the conspiracies, in the turmoil 
in the world around us. Instead of finding our sanctuary in him. Have we truly experienced his forgiveness? If we have, are we imploring others to do the same? Sharing the good news of the gospel with those around us. The question this morning is, what will we do with this stone? Will we seek him and find forgiveness, sanctuary, and peace? Or will we reject that stone and in the end find the perfect wrath of the righteous one? This evening we're going to conclude the message by looking in more detail as Peter does on what our response to the stone should be. But there's enough of what we've seen this morning to cause us to make a decision. Are we going to live for him, find our peace and our rest, our hope in him? Or like the world around us, will we reject? Father, we thank you for the stone. We thank you for your son, the sure foundation upon which our lives are to be built. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts, Father, that if we, those who are saved, if we are not finding our refuge, not finding our hope for the everyday living in you, may we cling to Christ, may we cling to the rock as our sanctuary. May we live our lives in such a way so that the unsaved world would see our obedience. Father, for one who may be here who has never experienced your son's forgiveness and are ultimately going to be facing his wrath, Father, may today be the day of salvation for that one. We ask these things in the name of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.